Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Welcome again to Timberlake Church. I'm Ben, I'm the lead pastor, and I am so glad that you joined us this weekend as we kick off a brand new series called The Time Is Now, based on the book of Haggai in the Bible. You're gonna learn a lot about that book of the Bible, but even more important, the principles that you can apply to your life. Next weekend, I'm back, and I'm gonna be sharing some really big news for us as a church. It, you're not gonna wanna miss it. This weekend, as Pastor Carlos is kicking us off, why don't you uh, give him a hand as he comes up on the stage? Got some intro dance music going on. This is a new thing. Ben's going to start dancing next week while you're here. Uh, listen, it's, it's good to be with you. My name is Carlos Ortiz. I'm our senior leader. I get to oversee our staff and uh, the running of our church. I get to partner with Ben as we move forward as a church. And it's all, always good to bring God's word um, to you and, and to have our pastor just trust me uh, the way that he does. And so uh, if you're a first-time guest... You know what? We're so glad that you're here. We really are. And we don't, we don't say that lightly. You might be thinking, that's like the fourth time they've welcomed me. Yeah, it's just, that's how we feel, right? So uh, you're part of the clan. Now you're part of the family. You can't leave. We're just going to stalk you. You might as well plan on coming back. Um, so we're going to jump into Haggai. And Ben and I were having this conversation um, about uh, this book and, and walking through it. And one of the premises we have and what we want to do in every series that we do is really cast vision on why do we have this sense that we should do a series and so uh, Ben and I were talking about the time is now and, and so that's the name of our series as we go into Haggai and, and I want you to understand that I know it sounds like a sense of urgency right like the time is now you have to take advantage of the time it sounds like a graduation speech right you got to just you know seize the day but the truth is we live in a culture where people are kind of freaking out a little bit and they're trying to seize the day and if you're into pop culture at all it seems like every celebrity is dating for like two or three weeks and then getting married now and like oh the end of the world and what's going to happen and no matter how you feel about the president or how we do uh, you know, our diplomacy around the world, there's just this sense of urgency. And so we make these decisions in urgency. However, with Haggai, what we're going to discover and unfold over the next few weeks is what happens when God has a sense of urgency? Uh, what happens when God kind of pricks the hearts of his people, his sons and daughters, and says, wait a minute, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How should we go about this? Because I have something I would like to do in you, and are you available for that to be done? And so that's why we went with the time is now, as we talked about Haggai. And we are going to go through the book together, so I'm going to challenge you. Sometime this week, you know, take out your Bible app or download a Bible app. Uh, and if you're like me, I listen to the Bible quite a bit because the Bible sounds so much better with an English accent. All right? 
It just does. So just push play. Um, and or if you're, you know, if you have a South African accent or an Australian, like those are like the best accents. And I just somehow it just gets into my head. Uh, it sounds like a BBC documentary or something, right? And so it just gets in my head, and I love it. But some people like to have the the physical word of God out. But I just challenge you to take the two chapters, just read it, and understand what happens, right? So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna go over a little bit of context, and we're gonna go into the first few verses. Then Ben's gonna pick up with uh, with the second part next week, and then I'll close it off uh, the week after that. So here we go. Uh, we're going to go into Haggai. Now, it, this isn't in your notes, but go ahead and take out your notes right now. And they're going to cover a couple of things that aren't in your notes, but give us context of what's happening here in this book. What is happening with Haggai, uh, this prophet of God, and how can we walk away from this challenge? So the first thing is, Haggai and another prophet, Zechariah, are both prophets who share the same context. And usually if you've ever read God's Word, or you've been around God's Word, or you've heard about God's Word in the Old Testament, prophets came, they were, they were subsequent to one another. So there was one, then there was another one, there's another one. What these two prophets were at the same time, speaking God, from God's uh, Word uh, at the same time to the same people. So they were cohorts of sorts. And it's the same as though, let's say there's, a, there's an incident that happens in our country, maybe something tragic like the fires in Northern California, or something's happening in our world, and you turn on the television, no matter what station you go to, there are going to be pundits, if it's a political thing. And they're going to give their vantage point of what's happening, but it's the same story that's taking place. The difference is here is, these prophets are both hearing from the Lord, trying to shape and bring truth to God's sons and daughters. So that's what we find. The second thing is, that Haggai is comprised of four prophetic words, so write that down, four prophetic words in three different categories. So the first one is a correction, the second one is a challenge, and the last two are encouragement. So it's four prophecies, three different categories, right? So there is correction, challenge, and encouragement. The third thing to know about this is that the book is written to the Jewish diaspora, who has returned to Jerusalem. And if you don't know that word diaspora, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural term for a group of people of the same culture uh, who are spread out for whatever reason. Usually it's war, famine, something catastrophic that causes this group of like-minded people, usually from the same culture, to be spread out. All right, so uh, the, the Jewish diaspora was spread out because of Jerusalem being torn down uh, and being taken over by the Babylonians. So now they're in Babylon, uh, and they're in other parts of the world, and they're spread out. This diaspora, but they're now coming back to Jerusalem. Fourth thing is this. People are trying to rebuild their lives, but have lost a sense of priority. People have lost a sense of what their true priorities are. And so that's where God, as God the Father, is looking down on his sons and daughters after getting out of slavery back in the hometown and things really aren't flowing the way God intended for them to flow. And here's the funny thing. When we go before God, you're going to hear me say this a lot in this series. When we go before God, we go before God as sons and daughters. Our titles, our degrees, the businesses we built, the family we have, all kind of fade away. And we go before God as a son or a daughter. And that's how God sees us because he's a good father. And so as we jump into this, and we jump into Haggai, I want us to understand that. So we're going to go through the first six verses together. We're going to read it together. Uh, but we're not going to read verse 1, but let me tell you what it says, basically, in a nutshell. Haggai is different than other writers in the Bible. Really is different, because he actually tells you when he's writing 
the book. So he writes down a little bit of history there. And so that's what's happening in verse 1. But verse 2 through 6, here we go. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in a paneled house while this house remains a ruin? What is he saying there? He's saying, you're, you're building up your own lives. You've come back from slavery. You're building your own lives. Yet I brought you back to rebuild Jerusalem. I brought you back with an intended purpose. And you are not rebuilding the temple. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. And you put on clothes, but you're not warm. And this is my, my favorite. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Have you ever felt that way? Guys, I'm working hard. Where's my money? Like, what's going on here? I feel like that way all the time. I tell my wife, we don't do cash in our family. It's gone. We can't account for it. We don't know what we did with it. And probably one of my five kids stole some of it anyway. So we're just not going to do any cash. We're not going to do any cash. And we're just going to keep track of it with our debit card, credit card. And and we're going to try to manage our money well. But sometimes it just, sometimes it's not ever enough. How about when you go out for that fancy meal? That somebody posted, and so you want to try that restaurant, and you go, and you pay that $7,500, $200 bill, and they give you that puny-sized little plate. And you sneak it at the McDonald's drive-thru on the way home. Some of you are like a little snooty right now, like, uh, McDonald's. Oh, that's right. You know that place that's on every corner all over the world that nobody eats at? Yeah, that place. They stay in business because people go there. Now, why did they open 24 hours for people like us who are ashamed to go? And we go at midnight and we add a shake on top of it. <laughs> See, now i got more laughs because the truth comes out. Because it's never enough. It's never enough. I love Chinese food, but I'm hungry an hour later. Every time. So I buy extra. My kids are like, we're going to have leftovers? As though leftovers is a bad word. No, we're going we're gonna to eat it all. That's what we do. Why? Because we can never really have our fill. And our purse sometimes always seems to have a hole in it. And this is the context of what God sees. When he sees his, his sons and daughters at Haggai, he's saying, what's going on here? You're working so hard, and you're not ever getting the return. And what happens is we can get so far ahead in building our life and the plans of our life. And I wonder if we ever stop long enough to ask the question, Where is God intertwined, interwoven in the plans that we've created? And that's what God's doing in Haggai, especially his first few verses. He's like, wait, 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 where am I in the story? Where am I in the story? In in my house, sometimes we talk about, you know, future stuff. And I always tell my girls, listen, we live in a world, you don't need to depend on a man. You need to get your education, you you need to prepare your own table. And, you know, I don't want you to marry a loser. I want you to prepare a table, I want you to be educated, I want you to do this and that. And then the girls will come around, but when I get married, I'm like, yeah, I still have to have some money for that. Um. But we're like, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen your, at your wedding? And my oldest daughter said, um, you're not participating in my wedding. I was like, excuse me? I'm paying for it. I'm participating. I'll give an hour-long speech if I want to. Or you're going to have a destination wedding. 
at Lake Sammamish. <laughs> All right? Okay, you can walk me down the aisle. Great. And then what? No, you're not participating in the ceremony. I know you're a pastor and all, but you're not doing it, Dad. Why not? I just, you're just not part of that plan. I'm going to have somebody else do it. I just want you to be a dad that day. And I used to hate that when she was little, and now she's getting older. Not that she's going to get married anytime soon. But I'm like, you know what? I actually want that. I can't wait for the day that I can just sit back and just be. And how many times do we long for that? To just be. And that's what God's wanting here in this book. He's saying, I just want to be with you. So, when we go into Haggai, we learn about four faulty areas that we need to reconsider. For that reason, the title of this week's message is Time to Reconsider. So what can we learn from Haggai in the first six verses about reconsidering and reevaluating? Number one, our evaluations can be wrong. This is the time you nudge your husband with a sharp elbow and say, you might be wrong. Right? Because we have these things, we have these opinions that have stood for a really long time. How many of you were raised with parents who had these mantras, right? They're five, six, seven, eight mantras they shared over and over and over again. And now you're an adult, you have kids, you have grandkids, and it just comes out of you like naturally because they just ingrained it in you. My dad always did this. And sometimes he was mad. He said, mirame, look at me. Mijo, son, don't lie to me, boy. Don't lie. We don't lie in this house. Because an honest question deserves an honest answer. Well, now I'm in my 40s and I use it all the time. It just comes out. It just happens. These mantras. But the problem is, what if we have mantras and beliefs and opinions that are not grounded in God's word? How true can they really be? How true can they really be? So our response when we're evaluating if we're right or wrong should be this. Have I reconsidered some of the conclusions that I landed on? Have we reconsidered some of the conclusions we landed on? So last week, you'd be really proud of me. Um, so I've had my, fav- my, my favorite team since I was three years old. All right, so I, I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan. I'm a Chicago Bear fan. I'm a New York Mets fan and an L.A. Laker fan. I just covered all the three big cities and was like, let's just go with it, right? But the, really, the reason is I'm rebellious. So all my favorite teams came out of rebellion from my family. Because my dad's a Yankees fan, so I became a Mets fan. <laughs> Even though he's from Manhattan, right in the city. Uh, my, my uncles are on Michigan State, so I became Michigan. I'm from Michigan, so nobody goes for the Lions. So I went for the closest team, Chicago Bears. And then Magic Johnson back in the days, a family friend. So he played for the Lakers, so we all cheer for the Lakers. And I've had the same team since I was three years old. And I got mad at my friends in the 80s when they started cheering for the Lakers and they didn't like the Lakers. And then they went to the Bulls because the Bulls started winning. And they, those bandwagon people annoy me. Because I've had the same favorite team for 38 years. But last week, I bought a Mariner's hat. It was on sale though. I was going to get full price. But it was on sale. And then... I actually went to a Mariners game. And I cheered for the Mariners. 38 years of telling myself that I would never do it. And my wife just couldn't believe it. How many of us have told ourselves the same type of stories about a particular issue for decades? Have we ever taken time to reconsider 
our stance. You might be watching online. You might be in the room. And it's the first time you've actually come to church or come back to church. And you've, you're having an out-of-body experience because you can't believe you're actually in a church. But you're taking time to reconsider what it means to be part of a local church. What does that mean at Timberlake? It means, listen, it means you're imperfect. Because if you're looking for a place where people are going to look at you and you're perfect, you're at the wrong church. Because when I see you, I see you're just like me. You're flawed. You have questions. You have doubts. You have fears. You have worries. Great. Let's build a relationship. Let's figure it out together because we're going to have more as we go along. And we'll, and we'll learn more about God in this journey together. That's what it means to be at Timberlake. To be in a growth group. To go to a Bible study. To raise your kids here. We're not going to raise perfection. Because we're imperfect. But we're covered by one who is perfect in Jesus. So... Our valuations, how we see things can be wrong. Verse 2 of Haggai 1. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. What is Haggai saying through God? He's saying this. You came back from slavery into Jerusalem and you on your own decided it's not time to rebuild God's house. Without considering what God would feel about that. Did you consider God... In the rebuilding of your lives. Because our evaluations can be wrong. Number two, our priorities might be off. Write that down. Our priorities might be off. And verse four, it goes into this. It says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains a ruin? It's like God's asking this question. What are you thinking? That's how you know God's a good dad, right? A good father. Because he asks the question. And I've had to teach myself to ask my kids or employees or people I'm with questions before I assume that they did something wrong. Tell me what you were thinking. If you've been in the workforce a long time, you might look at people younger than you as kids getting out of college and you're like, what are you thinking? Why is your mom calling in sick for you? You're 25 years old. Come on, grow up a little bit. You have to be looking at your kids saying, listen, what were you thinking? I need you to mature. I know you're only six years old, but you should know better. Right? We ask these questions. And that's what God's doing. He's like, is this really the right thing? Is, are your priorities really in order? Because our response when our priorities might be off should be this. To reconsider if we are truly in line with God's timing. God's timing. Is my decision in line? With God's timing. And that's what God's wanting from his people in this book. Are they understanding what God wants, the priority? When we sold our house uh, a few months ago to move up to the Seattle area, uh, we had our nest egg, we had money put aside, and then obviously like most of us in the room had sticker shock. Oh my gosh, how do people live here, right? And then we finally started digging in. We're gonna, we're, we found a couple houses. We started talking about bids. And, and I sat down with my wife and I said, I, gosh, I really feel like because we don't know the area I don't know if I'm comfortable buying a house, even if we liked one and could afford it. What if we rented for a season? I feel like that's going to be the right thing so we can find our bearings up in Seattle. You should have seen my wife's face when I said it. Like, what? We're going to rent? I, I might as well have asked her to move to a foreign country and learn another language and be a missionary. And then, like every other 14-year-old <laughs> in the world, my daughter overheard our conversation, overheard our conversation through the walls. And I heard her say out loud, we're going to rent? And she came into our room. She's like, Dad, we can't rent. What are people going to think of us? I was like, are you serious? 
She goes, well, you're not thinking about me. What are, what are my friends? I'm like, who are you? You don't even have any money. You're broke. You don't have anything. It doesn't bother me. It's a house. As long as it covers you and there's a bathroom, we'll be good. Dad, we're going to be homeless. I was like, sweetheart, it's a different area of the country. People rent. It's different. It's going to be okay. That next day we started looking. My wife found a house that was posted for five minutes. We were the first ones to find it. We, moved, we got it without ever seeing it because it looked good in the pictures. Had enough bedrooms. Had more than enough bathrooms. Thank you, Jesus, with three girls who had more than enough bathrooms. And it's a flat road in the northwest. Miracle. All because we were willing to shift our priorities. And my daughter was like, Dad, you can do it. I know you're a pastor, but you got money. I'm like, really? Yeah, you got, you got money? Because, I mean, we did this. I'm like, okay, this house right here, if we bought this house, she goes, oh, you can afford that. I can? Yes. But I probably can't pay for your braces anymore. Let's take those off. Oh, no, I need my teeth to be straight. We're going to rent then, sweetheart. But she moved in, and now guess what? She loves the house. Dad, can we extend the lease on this house? I really like it. Because of a shift, a small shift. And God is asking his people, can you shift your priorities to see things the way I see them? Because I have something for you if you can align your priorities with mine. Jeremiah 29 is important because Jeremiah is written to God's people when they're still in captivity. And Haggai is written when now they're out of captivity. So if you go back 70 years, here's what God says in Jeremiah 29. And it gives us some insight. He says, even though you're in slavery, uh, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. They're new slaves. And here's what he says. Build houses and settle down. He's basically telling them, you just became slaves. Buckle up. It's going to be a while. How many of you ever felt that way? You're in a season and you feel like, man, if I could just get out of the season. And if you really listen, you know, this is going to be a season for a while. And he says, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. He's asking the slaves to pray blessing over the slave owners. When was the last time you actually prayed for your boss to do well his job? And not prayed for him to get moved so you can have a different boss or you become the boss. When was the last time you asked for that? And, and here's why. Last verse. He says, pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So here there are slaves. God's asking them to pray, to be prosperous. They leave slavery. Now we get to Haggai. Now they're back in Jerusalem. They're asked to build a city. Well, the mindset is, I was a slave and I prospered. Now I'm free. I should more than prosper. But he was off. The priority was off. God wanted them to come back with those resources to actually make a difference in the city. And that can be tough. 
So number three, our thought processes can also be flawed. So what is our response if our thoughts are wrong? To reconsider God in the process of decision making. Verse 5 talks about it. Give careful thought to your ways. Sometimes our thinking's off. Watching my parents as I get older is really interesting because they're in their mid-60s now. And, uh, you know, growing up in the, you know, in the South and being Latino, it meant I got two spankings a day. And that's just how it works. Uh, and, and it's just that's how I was raised. It's really intense. And my mom and dad, actually, we're gonna, this is what we do. We don't even warn you. We just spank you. We just go for it. So you're like, oh, my God, you got spanked? Yes, I got spanked. And I'm fine. Okay, I'm fine. You know, I have a couple scars, but it's okay. Just joking. Just joking. Mom, if you're watching, just joking. And, uh, but now I have kids. And my mom will come and visit, and, and, and she'll see me talk with especially Max, my three-year-old, because he's just intense. And, and I'll get on to him, and she's like, mijito, no hablas así. Son, don't talk like that. He, he didn't mean to do it. For 18 years, I tried to convince you that I didn't do it. But now he didn't do it. Because in grandma mode, she's different. And my parents, and we've had this conversation over dinner, like, I, they're having to reconsider what it means to raise a child in 2018 than in the 80s when I was being raised. They're having to consider their thought process and submit to what that looks like. Because now I need my parents to not come and just buy my kids everything. I need them to help me raise my kids. And we have to partner together. So they're having to rethink this way. And Romans chapter 12 addresses that. 12, he says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Then you skip down to verse 2, and it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. We live in a world where everybody wants to tell you what to think. I don't care what channel you watch. Everybody's trying to tell you an absolute truth. Moving up here. You know how many comments we got from people we know? Oh my gosh. You're going to raise your kids in Seattle. They don't even allow Fox News up there. I'm like, thank God. Because I don't watch the news at all. I read it. I read the paper. I'm old school. I don't watch because so many voices are trying to tell me what to do with my money, with my time, with my kids. What they can and cannot eat. I mean, it's crazy. But how many times do I consider the voice of God in the process? How many times do you consider the voice of God in the process? Because if we're not careful, our thought process can be flawed. And the fourth and last thing that we can learn from Haggai is this. We are never satisfied. He talks about that. You, you earn wages only to realize you have a hole in your purse. It's, just, it's never enough. It's just striving. It's just striving. And what's our response when we're not satisfied is to reconsider the true value of what we say is significant. What do you say is significant? Do you really hold that value? Now, many of us have decor in our house that has like signs with words on them. You know, like love and peace and joy and laughter and first coffee. All those kinds of signs that, that we have in our houses. But I'm going to ask you this. I dare you to do something this week. I dare you to take one of your kids, your grandkids, a friend, your spouse. I dare you to pull them up to the sign in your house and say, do I actually live this? And some of you are like, oh man, I have a sign that has like 10 words on it. 
But do we really live and uphold the things we say are significant? If not, we're just toiling and we're building houses and doing what we do. And, it's, and it, can, it can be all for naught. My neighbor came home yesterday. You know what they told us? They built this vacation home in Bend, Oregon. And they're gone all summer, well, almost all the summer. They came back a little early and they said, hey, you know what? You know, my husband, he works a lot of hours and he's crazy and we hardly see the kids. And we've always wanted to live in our vacation house. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bite the bullet. He's going to be willing to commute once a week for meetings on Tuesday morning. And we're going to raise our kids where we said we wanted to raise our kids and we're just going to move. And some of our neighbors are like, you guys are crazy. School's about to start. But for them, they held this value, and they're willing to make the sacrifice to do it. Are we willing to do the same thing? Do we really have the values that we say we have? Solomon says this, same thing that God's saying in Haggai chapter 1, about, man, this value, it's all for nothing. I see you as a father. I see my sons and daughters striving, and it's getting them nowhere. Solomon said the same thing. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he said this, I undertook great projects. It's not in your notes. I'm just kind of ad-libbing it a little bit. I, I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards and gardens and parks. I built reservoirs to bring water to all these things that I planted. I had slaves. I had herds and flocks. More than anybody else who ever lived in Jerusalem. I had silver and gold and treasure like kings. I had a harem, multiple women in my life. And then you go to verse 11, just two verses later. And then he says this, Yet... Which means in light of what I just said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve. Here's what he says. Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. How sad would it be for us to work so hard to give our kids everything we didn't have, but do we ever consider the values we we're able to achieve because we didn't have. Two stories, and we're going to close. One is uh, I had the, have the honor of being married to into my wife's family. I really do love my in-laws. Call them mom and dad. They're not, you know, they're not really mother-in-law, father-in-law, mom and dad. And uh, when I first got in the family, I was the first grandchild to get married in her family, and her grandfather really didn't have strong relationships with uh, his kids or his grandkids. And, uh, you know, I'm just rebellious like that, so I see nobody want to hang out with him. So I hung out with him. I took him to play golf, and all the grandkids were like, you're around him for four hours? It's actually five because he wants to walk, you know. And, and we're playing golf, and we're talking about sports, and this tough old guy in the agriculture business. He was in sales, and he sold big gear to farmers, and top in, in, his, in his state, in the state of Iowa, and uh, just tough old guy. Nothing really changed for years. And about six weeks ago, he passed away. But I saw the beauty of the last 18 months. Because in the last 18 months, I saw him let his guard down and let his kids in. And let his grandkids in. I saw him cry. I heard him mourn for his wife. I saw a lot of things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And I saw the beauty of my mom, my mother-in-law, build a relationship with her dad who's 90. And I wish he would have been for longer. But even at 89, before he turned 90, he reconsidered his ways and got to have a relationship. So we got to celebrate his life at the end. And that's the goal. 
Now turn that the other way around. A 12-year-old. 12-year-old in me. My dad was very successful in the 80s. We traveled the world. We did cool things. We vacationed everywhere. We climbed pyramids. We did, we did everything. It was amazing. My dad came home one day because he felt like the life he was living didn't match up to what he said. He said, I tell everybody you're the most important people, but I spend the least amount of time with you. So guess what he did? He sold everything and we moved out of town. I don't recommend it. Because being 12, I hated it. I hated it. He literally sold everything. We moved 10 miles out of town. And a friend of his gave him a shack. We went from this huge house, tons of property, multiple vehicles, to a shack and a van. My dad was a hippie. And he pulls up to the house. He says, this is where we're going to live. I said, not me. I'm like my 14-year-old now, right? Now, what about me? What about what are people going to think? I have to share a room with my brothers? We're poor now. He's like, it's a place to live. <laughs> Man, I'm having this moment right now as I'm telling you. God, I do this to my kids. So my dad did to me. The problem was you couldn't see the house because it was covered with weeds. They were that high. So not only did we see the house for the first time, we went to work that day. And he, he opened the back of the van. There's all these tools. And we spent the rest of the day tearing down the weeds. So my dad, as we tore them down, was putting them in this big pile. And he was probably eight or nine feet high. And guess what he did? He says, I want to welcome us to the neighborhood. He lit it on fire. <laughs> Can't make this stuff up, people. Can't make it up. Welcome to the neighborhood. So first day of school, oh, you're that family that set your weeds on fire. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, with the cats under the house. Yeah, that one. With the shack. With the fridge this high. And a propane tank. And just all these things that I thought were just below us. But I'm 40 years old now, or in my 40s. And my brothers and I, we get together. We'll get together next month, and we, we joke, and we make fun of each other, and we laugh, and we share stories. And it always comes up, Canepa, Texas. And to a man, because there's only boys in our family, the best year of my childhood, the best year we ever had as a family, was that year in the shack. We didn't have a vacation that year. Our vacation was going to the local bridge and jumping into the creek. Driving a go-kart, hanging out. That was the best year of our life because my dad was willing to reconsider what life with us looked like. And he afforded us a connection with him that we didn't have before. I know it's a challenge and it can be hard. But God is challenging us to reconsider what we're doing, like he's doing in Haggai. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for friends. I thank you for family. I thank you for friends who are becoming like family the longer that I'm here. And I hope that everybody here is afforded that opportunity. Especially in you, because you are such a good God, even when we're not good. And you're faithful when we are unfaithful. And so as you challenge us to reconsider our ways and how we do things, I ask that you would check our hearts. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're in the room or you're watching online, you'd say, I'm one of those people. I, I'm the person who can't believe I'm actually in church right now because I said I would never do it again. Or maybe you've been coming because you made an obligation to somebody, but you said you'd never give in. But you're saying, if what you're saying, Pastor Carlos, is true, that I can really be on this journey of figuring it out as we go, I am in need of a Savior. I'm willing to admit my imperfection and that God sent His Son who's perfect to cover my imperfections. If that's you online, maybe you're watching in your office, maybe you're watching at home, or maybe you're right here in the room and you'd say, I want to take my next step in acknowledging that I need Jesus. Will you do me the honor of making eye contact with you? Will you just look up where you're at? Thank you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. God, thank you for those who are making the decision for the first time today. I pray for courage to continue to take steps. The steps of baptism and acknowledging publicly who you are. The steps of growing in you. Before any of that, today we acknowledge that we are in need of your son Jesus. Who came and died on a cross so that we could have life. And I speak life over my new friends and family. And for those of us in this room who are on a journey, maybe life's going great, finances are great, marriage is great, maybe some of us are just stuck and we feel like we're slaves like the Israelites were in Babylon. And no matter where we are on that spectrum, today we just acknowledge that we need to reconsider our ways and our thinking and our decisions, our satisfaction, our contentment. We ask that you would have your way in our heart, in our lives, as we look at the notes and we see the homework and the questions that are coming this week, that we would take time to take into consideration those questions in you and that you would speak to us and mold us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give a round of applause for that word and challenge? Thank you, Pastor Carlos. The, the summer of 1987 in Canepa, Texas, I was four years old when I was there. And the story that Carlos left out of there was that he, why he remembers it is that summer, Carlos's favorite drink is Dr. Pepper. And he, uh, back in the day, they had that, that, uh, that little deal that if you got the right top, you get a free one. You could, you could win one. It was in the 80s. They realized they were not, weren't going to make money yet, so they stopped doing it. So that's why it's not available today. But we were there, and uh, my parents had to save up for two or three weeks to get him his first Dr. Pepper because they didn't have money to get him one all the time. So he goes to the store, and he gets the Dr. Pepper, and he asks God, you know, like, let me win. He wins. He goes back the next day. He wins again. Every single day that entire summer, he won. He didn't lose once throughout the entire summer. And what it proved to us is the generosity and the goodness of God. And I love the question that he asked. He said, can we shift our priorities so we can see what God sees? And I'd like to just commend you as a new student lead pastor. I'd like to commend you on your generosity. There are middle school kids that are going to get a camp today. Oh, God, please pray for me as we go to middle schoolers for the next couple of days. But I'm going to, I'm going to take your monsters. I'm going to take, I'm sorry, I'm going to take your angels. Um, and we're going to, as we go to camp, some of the students that are going to go could only go because of the generosity of Timberlake Church. Some of them that are going to go on Wednesday for high school camp can only go because they can only afford it because you and your generosity allowed them to be able to go. So students' lives are being changed and molded even today because of the generosity of the people that are in this room. And as the lead student pastor here at Timberlake Church, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your giving. You have no idea how much it means for the next generation. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. 
stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.